I thought, thought we agreed no introductions. <laughs> Good morning, how are you? Did you enjoy the new song we did this morning? Is it Good Grace, is that what it's called? Um, I've had that on repeat in my household. I don't think we're sick of it yet, but there's a line in that song I just love where it, it's, just, it's just a little line, but it says, God is madly in love with you. And when I first heard that song, every time I heard that line, I just wanted to weep because um, if you've heard me speak here before, you know I talked about in my younger years how I lived with a faith but always believing God was so deeply disappointed in me and my choices. And too late did I get that revelation that God is madly in love with me. And if it's the one thing I can tell others now, especially young people, God is madly in love with you. Yeah? It's, it's a deeper, deeper line than what, you know, it looks in the song. So recently, um, last month, I was in Sydney for five days, and I was um, with a couple of my best friends. So there was lots of girl time, which equals lots of talk time. Lots of words. I think I was, um, you know, we were in a, an apartment hotel thing, and I was sharing a room with, with one of my girlfriends, and I think I actually fell asleep on her talking to me one night. That's how much we were like talking, and you know, that's what girls do. I don't know if men probably don't. They definitely don't share beds, I know, but um, you know, and so by the time I was heading home back to Melbourne, my love tank was full, because my love language is quality time, so five days away with girlfriends is like, ideal to me, and so by the time I was heading back to Melbourne, like, my love tank was full, and I was almost giddy with it. And the thing with me is, I have a, a bit of a cheeky side to me that comes out, you know, power in numbers, you know, when we, when we walk around in groups. That's why people join gangs. But, but on the flip side of that, when you're with your friends, you just feel a little more, like, confident, a little more cocky. Is that just me? That could be my personality type. Am I the only one here who's like that? I literally am. Well, forgive me. <laughs> Pray for me. <laughs> um, so by the time we got to the airport, you know, we were talking, laughing, I was feeling great, refreshed, heading home to family, actually missed my kids, you know, so it's a good length of time away. And um, as we're checking in, the flight attendant checking our boarding passes says to me, oh, you're seated, I see you're seated in an exit row. And I thought, oh, bonus, extra leg room, you know, bit of space, great. And then she says, I think this must be standard, when, when was the last time you were seated in, a, in an exit row? And I had no idea. Kath, do you mind if I grab that glass of water? I just get a really dry mouth when I talk. Um, thanks. <laughs> no, that's okay, thanks for that. Yeah, that's okay, I've had a bit of a cold this week, so. And, um, and um, I couldn't remember, it's been a while, so I was really excited. I always feel like, you know, you're a little bit on the inside circle when you're in the exit row. And then she says to me, and I don't remember ever being asked this before, I need to know, would you be prepared and willing, in case of an emergency, to assist the passengers around you? I don't remember them ever asking us that before for an exit row. And because I was feeling a bit cheeky, and I know a few passengers before me just went like, yep, and went through. Yes, I held up the whole line while I had a little fun with her, and I said, oh, wait, I need to think about that. Would I be prepared and willing to assist the other passengers in case of an emergency? I said to her, because really, 
I'm not really known for being that great in a crisis, so I can't say to you without a doubt that I would. I go, really what you're offering me is a seat next to the escape hatch should an emergency arise, but what you're asking of me is to put my own life aside and assist everyone else in my section at the risk of possibly dying before I board this plane. Is that what you're actually asking me to do? I'm, I'm telling you the truth, because I was in a cheeky mood, and my friends are looking at me like, here we go. Like I said, pray for me. And, um, and she looked at me and rolled her eyes like, here we go, we got a live one. <laughs> and she said, look, like at the most, you just have to hold a few hands. Can you at least do that? And I go, what's the maintenance records been like lately? Like, what are the odds we're going to run into an emergency? And then I literally have to put my life on the line. I go, really, what you're casually asking me as I board a plane is to put my life on the line for a whole section of strangers. I go, that's weighty. Like, do I get time to think about that? If I say to you, I actually don't think I can do that. I think if it came down to an emergency, I'm going to pick myself and I'll be the first one out the exit door. Will you let me on this plane? And she looked at me and she's like, yes, we will still let you on the plane. I'm like, can I still be seated in the exit row? She's like, I don't know. She goes, really, could you just say, you know, could you just hold a few hands? And I laughed and I said to her, I literally can't make any guarantees because I don't know how I would react in that situation, but I'll give it my best shot. And she let me on. And as I got on the plane, I felt all of a sudden, I felt this weight of responsibility for my section. It's like she had given me ownership of that section, like their lives were in my hand. They invited me to sit at the exit row, right next to the exit door. I am in the inner circle of that section of the plane because me and the crew, should an emergency arise, we've got to communicate and get things under control. I mean, you guys, it is no small task to sit in the exit row, am I right? Have you ever thought about that? Because I don't remember ever being asked to carry the weight of that responsibility before. I mean, I have sat in, in an exit row before, but nobody ever spelt it out like that. I really thought what we're getting is free leg room here. But all of a sudden, I walked in, so I decided to introduce myself to the section of the plane. Yes, I did. I was on a high from being with girlfriends for five days and no kids. It's dangerous. God gave me a big family to ground me. I'm telling you, he did. It was to ground me. Um, and so I said to that section, hi, I'm seated right here next to the exit door. Should you need me in an emergency, let me know. But I can't make any guarantees. I won't be the first one out this door. But I'll try my best. Some people laughed, some looked at me like we got a live one. And then I thought I should introduce myself to the fellow members of the exit row section. And I was like, hey guys, you realize we're a team, right? So who here has had training in this, in emergencies? And a few of them thought I was funny enough, they played along, you know? And I said, because you all realize what we're being asked here, right? Like, you really realize that, right? That at that stage, my friends were like, hey, time to sit down. Time like, I know we've, ha we've had a lot of coffees this morning, but time to sit down, you know? But I couldn't stop thinking about that. I really couldn't. All I could think about was, Really, some things in life are so familiar to us, we just take it for granted. Exit row, extra leg room. Really what they're saying is, you can get on this plane, you can sit in the inner circle, you can have all the privileges of this plane, but are you prepared and willing to do what it takes to sacrifice your life for others? 
that really is the question. You're never going to want to sit in an exit row again, I know. And I sat there through the flight and thought, God, how like our Christian life this is, hey? It's just a free ticket, if you want, a free gift Jesus offers us with salvation. Comes at a big cost, I know. But it's free to us to just accept. And we're children of God, and we're part of the family. But it also comes with a weight of responsibility. Not legalism, not works. It's mercy and grace. But knowing what we've been given. Do, how often do we ask ourselves, am I prepared and willing to lay down my life for this? Am I prepared and willing to be a living sacrifice for what I've signed up for in Jesus' name? How often do we ask ourselves that? You know, I'm reminded of a man. I think I have a photo of a man, because we like visuals, who's sitting at a table, and he's working furiously on something, and his wife walks in and says, what are you, what are you doing? And he says, oh, I'm putting together a jigsaw puzzle, and it's supposed to be a picture of a rooster, but I just can't get it to work. And she looks at him and rolls her eyes and says, put the cornflakes back in the box. A lot of people are like this. They're trying to put it together that puzzle of life, right? Trying to figure it out. But we don't have the right pieces. We're trying to figure out God alongside all the challenges we go through in life. And how often do we even say as Christians, I know I do a lot, like, this was a good week, this was not a good week, this was a good year, this was not a good year. As if, as if our whole Christianity is dependent on that. And we performed well this week, but we didn't perform well this week. We performed well, we were a good Christian, a nice Christian that year, but not so much that year. As if it all hangs on that. How often do we do that? Have you ever been faced with adversity in life? I know you have. If you're human and you're breathing, of course you have. We all have. And some of us can, in that time ask, why? You know, the first half of last year was a lot like that for me. You know, a lot of you know I've been through a lot of challenges in the past few years, and for the most part felt strong in the Lord and strong in my faith. But something like disappointment seeped in at the first half of last year. I, I'm being really honest with you. I felt really disappointed in people in general. People are highly disappointing. There's the news. <laughs> I bet even I am to people. We disappoint one another. Somehow, though, I let that settle in a little too much. A little too much. I noticed my speech became a little cynical, a little sarcastic. Anyone ever been there? You start looking for what's wrong in the church service, not what's right. Hmm? Been there? You start picking apart things in the body of Christ. And it's like even I knew this is a dangerous stance to entertain. Today I want to talk about how we look at going higher with God, deeper with God, wider with God. Yeah? I want to talk about what it means to be a living sacrifice. And um, we're going to see what God has to say about it. Thank God for his word that guides us. And we're going to go to Romans. Now, don't panic. I know Romans is a heavy book. <laughs> the book of Romans. For some of you, you might be sitting here and you might say like, what's Romans? What's Romans? Others of you might say, oh yeah, I think I've read Romans once. 
It was deep. I moved on. Some of you might say, oh, I've got a few ideas with Romans. There's a few things there that I took away. Some of you might sit here and say, oh, I lecture in Romans at a Bible college. You could probably do a better job than me at, at teaching it this morning. But what I want to say to you is never be intimidated by Romans. Yes, it's a, it's a weighty book. But you know, the thing with Romans is, it's like if you were asked to write a paper, you know, for your university, for example, or for your high school, and, you, and, and they wanted you to make a case about Christianity. You might go so far for a university or a high school paper, but if you were asked to write the case for Christianity for, say, the Herald Sun or the Age or the New York Times, right, known for having a real, really intelligent reader base, you would probably really think about what you were going to say. You would probably really unpack the case for Christianity. That's the book of Romans. Paul knows who he's talking to. Rome was the center of society in that day and the intellectual, philosophical center of society. So he can't just give a really quick case for Christianity. So Romans 1 to 11, he takes 11 chapters and he unpacks salvation and the gift of that. And then we shift in Romans 12, and that's what I'm gonna speak from today. And from Romans 12 forward, he gets practical. He makes a case for Christianity, he makes a case for Christ, a case for salvation, and then in Romans 12 he says, now practically, this is what it looks like when we live it out. Great, great, we're not just left with all that deep theology, but now we're given the practical solution. So what does that mean for us? So let's look at Romans 12, yeah? I'm gonna re we're gonna just read the whole chapter because believe me, the word of God can preach far better than I ever can. Okay, so starting in verse one. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mer mercy, it's really important where he says in view of God's mercy. That's the difference between Romans 12 becoming legalistic, like a list of do's and don'ts. That's the difference between our faith becoming works-based and grace-based. So in view of God's mercy, what he's saying is, in view of the first 11 chapters I just wrote about salvation, grace, mercy, in view of all that, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do you know, being prepared and willing to lay your life down, to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, it starts with the renewing of your mind. We call that nowadays a mindset shift. Oh, we all need a mindset shift. We need a, a thinking shift, right? It was originally a God idea, <laughs> as most things are that we now talk about. The renewing of our mind. Because the renewing of our mind gives us clarity and it gives us discernment. Two very important things to have as we walk our Christian lives out. Picking up in verse three. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, can you imagine Paul saying this? I say to every one of you, everyone say, he's talking to me. He's talking to me. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Thank you, Paul, I often need that reminder. But rather, think of yourself with sober judgment 
in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, practical example, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the church, hey? We all have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Wow, no excuses there. We all, I'm sure, fit into one of those gifts, yeah? No excuses there. Basically, what he's saying is, you've all been given a gift by the Holy Spirit, you know, just a good gift from a good God. Use it. Use it. And in, in these verses, three to eight, what we see unpacked is humility. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, so live with humility. We see unity reach there. We're one body, one church. And then we see service. So with that, with that humility, knowing that there is a unique equality amongst us, serve one another. Because each of you has gifts and different gifts. And working together, it makes beautiful music. Serve one another. There's a quote from Erwin McManus that says, if you live for yourself, you can settle for less. If you live for others, it requires all of who you are. You know, if I live for myself, if that plane runs into trouble, I'm the first one out that exit door. Sorry, everyone, I got the closest seat. If I live for others, it requires all of myself because everyone else is going before me because I think of myself not more highly than I ought, but I put others in front of myself and my needs. You can't have humility, unity, or service to one another without love. It would be impossible to do. It wouldn't be difficult, it would be impossible to do in these flesh and bones bodies living in this sinful world. So Paul knows that. So then he goes on to say, to talk about love and action, verses 9 to 21. He says, <clears throat> love must be sincere. So in other words, no points for faking it. It must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Now listen to this. Never, everyone say never. Not try not to. Not if you can, but never be lacking in zeal. Say zeal. Doesn't it feel unnatural to say that word? <laughs> I don't know why, it doesn't feel like a natural word, zeal but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, 
faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. Let's just pause there. Share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. You know, that sharing, that concept of sharing is a reference to the generosity of God's people to one another for the sake of building each other up in the faith. Yes, you can be generous with time. Yes, you can be generous with money and food, and you should, and those are good things. But on a deeper level, this is referring to um, the generosity to one another for the sake of building each other up in the faith. If I don't take the time to find out how you are doing or what you need prayer for, if I don't take the time to love you enough to care about what's going on in your life, to care about the things you need prayer for, how are we, how are we a family of God, right? Do you understand? You know, when I was um, a child, <laughs> I always tell you all my negatives, so you're, I know you're all gonna think I'm just crazy, but Every lesson I've ever learned has been the hard way. Let's be honest about that. Just seems to be my personality in my life. When I was a child, I think in about grade five, so I don't know how old that is, they um, had a, like a carnival at my primary school. So, so they used to do that with raising money. It would start right after school at 3.30 and they'd, you'd go around to different classrooms and they'd have different games. And we used to get very excited about things like that happening and it was just to raise money for the school. And I would get very excited about the cakewalk. Do you all know what a cakewalk is? Yeah, no? It's a North American thing, isn't it? Because you're nodding your head. Yeah, the cakewalk. You guys, you need to adopt this in schools here. So you'd be on, they'd have all these numbers laid out on the floor. Correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm going right off memory here. And music would be on, and you'd be walking on the numbers. I just get really excited. And then they'd stop. And if you landed on that number, you'd go, you know, you'd go see if it corresponds with a number of baked goods on the table. So all the moms would bake cakes and cookies and things, some big, some small, and they'd have numbers attached to them. So you'd pay to do the cakewalk, all right? So you might pay, probably nowadays, it'd be like a gold coin donation, and everyone starts on a number, and then they say go. So everyone's gonna walk away with something, just depends how big or little. You just might walk away with three cookies, you might walk away with a whole cake, right? Depending on what number you land on when the music stops. I used to love that because I like to eat. And so, <laughs> so on that day, I landed on a number, went to the table, and that beautiful double layer chocolate cake with that homemade frosting was mine. And I was thrilled. And I was walking home that afternoon. I don't know why, but moms and dads didn't seem to come to these carnivals, or, or else it was just mine. I like to believe it was everybody's. Um, and I was walking home with this cake, and I, we used to, this is in Canada, so we used to walk through woods and stuff like that um, to get home from school. And I remember thinking about when I got home, now I have brothers, only brothers. They eat a lot, they eat quick. I know this, that it's a boy thing, because then I went on to have four sons, and it just seems to be a thing, like they're never full, they're always eating. They don't even really chew, they just seem to inhale food. And so I'm walking home with this cake thinking, homemade chocolate cake, homemade chocolate frosting. This is going to taste so good, but how much of it am I really even going to get when I get home? So I'd like to say, being generous of spirit and kind, I went home and announced it to my family that we were having this glorious dessert. Instead, I chose to sit on a log on the path and dig into that thing, and I ate every last bite of that cake. No joke. 
I mean, I must have been sick when I got home, but I don't remember that. I do remember how darn delicious it was. I actually still remember that, and that was a long time ago. It was delicious, and I was quite satisfied with myself, to be honest. I'd like to say I learned some sort of a lesson. I didn't, it was delicious, and I got the whole thing to myself. The thing with that is, I'd like to think I have grown beyond that, but on some level, I feel like we all fight that nature where we wanna just keep things to ourselves. There are things we know we should share, namely our Christianity, <laughs> namely the gift of salvation that Jesus has for everyone, but there's still people who don't even know about that amazingness. But we just kinda tend to go like, this is delicious and this is wonderful and we're gonna sit in our own little bubble here on our own little path just as Mill Park Baptist and we're not gonna share that cake. Just eat it all to ourselves because it's delicious and it's rich and it's good and why share? But the thing with feeling like, you know, you have to keep something to yourself is you lack the understanding truly of abundance, don't you? Because abundance in the Christian sense, in, in Christian thinking, it's not about having as much of something as you want. When God says, I, I come so that you can have an abundant life, so that you can live in abundance, what he's not saying is, I died on the cross and gave you, you know, this gift into eternity so you can have as much what you want here on earth. It's actually not what he's saying. What he's saying is, abundance is about having as much as, of God as you want. That's an abundant life. You actually can have as much of God as you want. God is way better than chocolate cake, yeah? <laughs> Now think about that, let that sink in for a sec. You can have as much of God as you want. I think sometimes we need to just stop on that. Think on that. What does that look like? Let's finish Romans 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Working on that, Lord. Rejoice with those who rejoice Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Those are challenging verses, aren't they? We don't even have time to unpack all that, but they're challenging verses that probably deserve some time and attention in our lives. If I can go to the message version of that, I don't know, do we have them? Yeah. Sometimes the message just puts it really palatable. Love must be sincere. We're, I think we jump back up to verse nine. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Let's focus on this. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Love from the center of who you are 
don't fake it. I'll stop there because I don't have time. I love, I love that the author of the message wrote that line. Love from the center of who you are. Who are you? Children of the most high God. Highly blessed, highly favored. Yeah? You got the exit seat every day. <laughs> The chocolate cake is yours. <laughs> to know who we are is to know whose we are. It's to know whom we belong to. To love from the center of who you are is actually really radical. It's actually really radical. And Voskamp says, what you are in love with decides what you live for. I know I have to do a heart check all the time. Believe me, I pretty much wrote this to myself and I'm just telling it to you. <laughs> what you are in love with decides what you live for. What does it look like to love like that? What is love in action? What does that kind of love look like? Well, guess what? We have Jesus to look at. If you ever wonder, what does this look like? I took that first step. I gave my life to Jesus. How do I now become like him? Look at him, read about him, get to know him. This is how he loved his disciples. Therefore, this is how we love others. Unconditionally, sacrificially, openly, authentically, and vulnerably even when it's not convenient. You know, Jesus met them where they were and loved them as they were, believing in them even when they didn't believe in themselves. Have you had anyone ever love you like that? <sighs> I have. I definitely have, and I'm so grateful for the spiritual mentors who discipled me and loved me like that. You know, when I stumbled back into church <laughs> at 22 after writing a couple chapters for the devil. I had a baby in my arms who's getting married soon. Anyway, focus. Um, and I had a lot of baggage and I had a lot of world in me. And, you know, I was just so blessed that God brought me to a church family that, and people who could meet me where I was at, just simply where I was at, loved me as I was at that moment and constantly believed in me at a time when I just couldn't believe in myself. It's a really powerful kind of love. And why do we love like that? Why do we love others like that? <laughs> because it makes us look awesome? <laughs> no. Because it makes us feel like good Christians? No. Because it's nice? Because it's good? No. It's so that everyone might see and everyone might know that God loves them, and in fact that God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to save and forgive them of their lostness. Love must be sincere, you know, if we see anything in Jesus, we saw him in a sincere manner at all times, wasn't he? He didn't always say things that we would think are okay to say. I'm certain that if one of us went somewhere and started flipping over tables and, you know, Jesus wasn't always well-behaved by our Christian box standards of it. Our, our, our uh, 
um, Bible giants, our Bible heroes, weren't the, weren't the best behaved people of society, but they were sincere and authentic, yeah? Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, that's sincere. In other words, phony love doesn't cut it with God, but only sincere love that is capable of differentiating good from evil. What it means, church, is we stand for truth. That will be more important in the days to come than ever. We stand for truth and we stand for what is good in the world. But we don't condemn the sinner. We love them. And that kind of love and that kind of stance is actually only capable through God's love in us. We can never do that in our own strength. It's impossible. It's actually a supernatural kind of thing going on there. John Piper says that being a disciple of Jesus is like this. You see, Jesus requires commitment to the highest possible cost. In other words, you don't need to know the specifics of the cost in your own particular case if the agreement you sign is, I'm yours at any cost. When we ask someone to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of their life, to make that commitment, what we're asking someone to say is, will you say to Jesus, I'm yours at any cost. I'm yours at any cost. And I often rant, you know, to my boys about that. Please make sure your friends know. Please make sure our younger generation know that what we're asking them to say is, I'm yours at any cost. At any cost. John Piper goes on to say, you must be ready at any time to let go of everything for Jesus' sake. Disciples are all in or they're not in. All the so-called costs and all the so-called losses, everything are nothing compared to the gains of having Jesus, the greatest treasure. That's the good news. It's nothing. Listen to me, guys. Nothing compared to having Jesus, the greatest treasure. So what would happen if we as a church, we as the body, you know, would follow those teachings of Jesus, would live with such depth of gratitude for that salvation that we couldn't help but become living sacrifices? Imagine what we could do together. Imagine what Christians around the world could do together. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. You know, zeal is actually means a dedication or enthusiasm for something. If you have zeal, you're willing, you're energized, you're motivated. Never, not try not to, not sometimes, never be lacking in zeal. So what's Paul saying to us? Never be lacking in dedication. Never be lacking in enthusiasm. Never be lacking in the willingness Never be lacking in feeling energized and motivated to live for God. You know, being a Christian is actually super exciting. Living on the edge of faith is actually super exciting. It's not coming to church on a Sunday and sitting through, through a well-organized service and then, well done, everyone, go home, you ticked your box for the week, right? We come together because this is our family gathering. I have family dinner night every Sunday night at my house. And um, we haven't done it in a while, but we used to include board game night with that. 
but we gather every Sunday night because my family's getting more scattered as the guys are getting older. And, um, you know, girls have joined us. It's awesome. Girls have joined us. Okay, I have like the red light that I'm going over. I'm not going to talk about the gorgeous girls that are in my world at the moment, but they're awesome. Um, but, you know, we still need to gather just like we all need to gather. So this is important. But what we do beyond this with enthusiasm, dedication, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15 says, our firm decision is to work from this focused center. One man died for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. Psh, equalizer right there, Jesus. He includes everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life, a resurrection life. Get this, a far better life than people ever lived on their own. That's just summed up beautifully. What we're living is a far better life than what we could live on their own. The abundant life, which means we can have as much of God as we want. Oh, hello, that's awesome. <laughs> Zeal is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is a deep sense of gratitude that nourishes a Christian zeal. And it's strengthened by remembering Christ's example. We are to actually be his disciples. We're to be that. So we have to ask ourselves, am I prepared and willing? Just like she, this, the flight attendant asked me, are you prepared and willing? Essentially, she was asking me if I was prepared and willing to sacrifice my life for the good of others should it come down to it. They can dress it up all they want. That's what they're asking with the exit row. But, but we're asked that question. Are you prepared and willing to be a living sacrifice? And if we answer yes, oh, the life we live. It's a complete mind sh mindset shift. It flips it all over, you guys. It's living from a stance of purpose. It's living with a posture and a heart that is ready and willing, anticipating what God wants to do as we walk through life, whether that's in a grocery store, at school pickup, in the office, at our high school, at our university. It's in anticipation of what that day holds in Christ's name and the opportunity I'll be given to share that. It's remaining steadfast, firm in the wake of adversity. Who knows what will hit? Some of you have had hit after hit after hit. I get it. Some of those hits are hard to get back up from. I get it. But it's the steadfastness knowing our eye is on the prize. Our eye is on eternity and taking as many with us as we can. To wrap it up, there's a variations of a story going around, but after lots of reading and digging, I think it's actually a church in San Diego, but they had a statue of Jesus on their lawn. And I think through vandalism, his hands got broken off. And when the church members, oh, and that statue had a caption that said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy la la laden. When the church members got together to fix the statue, they were deciding how they were gonna put the hands back on that statue of Jesus. You know, they made this beautiful decision that they wouldn't, that they would leave it as is, but change the plaque, the caption under that statue. And instead it now reads, I have no hands but yours. I love it because the message is simple. We are the body of Christ. There's no plan B. We are the body of Christ. And if the body of Christ is gonna move, it's gonna be by our feet, your feet, my feet, 
If the body of Christ is gonna hug, it's gonna be by my arms, your arms. If the body of Christ is gonna speak, it's gonna be through my mouth, your mouth. We are the body of Christ. And thankfully, we aren't left to wonder, what, what's the plan? What's the plan now? I've accepted the gift of salvation. I've accepted the gift of grace. What now? It's spelled, spelt, I don't know, spelled out for us? Spelled out for us. How we live in response to the gospel is what Romans 12 is all about. How we live now in response to the gospel. It's important to remember it's not a list of do's and don'ts because that's legalism. Christian living is totally dependent on God's grace and mercy. It's an act of, it's the deepest act of gratitude for that gift of salvation. Why don't you stand with me as we pray? I hope you're encouraged today. And um, we will be taking communion after, which is, which is also just kind of perfect for this, yeah? But I hope you're encouraged today to um, live from that stance of response to the gospel that we're called to be a living sacrifice to. Father, thank you for the body of Christ. Across the earth, God, thank you for the body of Christ. Lord, we come to you in gratitude for salvation, in gratitude for mercy, in gratitude for grace, Lord God. We take a stance, Lord, saying, yeah, I'm willing. I'm willing to be a living sacrifice, to go where you call me, to do what you ask me to do, Lord God. Living for you is the only way, completely sold out, Lord God. Lord, grant us the zeal to accomplish your will for our lives and to press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me and to press on towards the goal to win the prize for which Christ has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Amen.